So on today's episode, I'm with Sarah Kinane. She's Head of Media and Communications at the ISC, that's the Independent Schools Council. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the AMKIS podcast, brought to you by the Bonjour Agency. AMKIS is the Association for Admissions, Marketing and Communications in Independent Schools. And this is the podcast where we speak to people in the independent school sector. Let's get into this episode right now. Sarah, thank you for being here. It's good to talk to you. How are you today? Thank you very much for having me. I am uh, delighted to be here. Well, it's good to talk to you. It really is. Uh, we're recording this on a on a Wednesday morning. What what a Wednesdays look like on a typical Wednesday, if such a thing even exists? I mean, there is no such thing as a typical Wednesday, unfortunately, at the ISC, because for my role, it very much depends on how many journalists are badgering me that day. Um, so today, obviously. Uh, I have told the national media to leave me alone uh, <laughs> while I record this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of us do appreciate that for sure. Sarah, tell us a little bit about, um, well, first of all, about what your main role is at the ISC and, and actually what that means as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the head of media and communications, as you said, and the ISC's remit is to defend and promote the sector so anytime independent schools are in the news uh, which you may have seen they they have been rather a lot over the past mm-hmm. uh, few months mm-hmm. um, my job is to um, come up with a response on behalf of the sector uh, to represent independent schools uh, in the national and sometimes local and trade media but it's also about being proactive about the messages we put out there so as well as responding to stories that are out there looking after social media um trying to place stories uh, that showcase uh, the breadth and depth of educational brilliance that's going on uh, throughout independent schools Sarah, I'm I'm in awe and admiration about how relaxed you sound when you're talking about this, because uh, I, I think most people listening to this can probably um, understand how I feel when I say that if I put a, a post on LinkedIn or, or Facebook or something like that, I, I tend to write it, read it, reread it, reread it again, and then worry about how people will, will respond to it. And uh, let's face it, I, I'm a very small business, but <laughs> what you're talking about here is representing independent schools in the UK and 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 I mean that kind of fills me with horror a little bit how do you how do you sleep at night and how do you stay calm in a role like that uh, well how do I sleep at night with my phone very close to my bed uh, mm. is the answer to that and I think in terms of being calm it's a difficult one because obviously when um when you do get that phone call or an email you often don't know what the story's going to be um, mm-hmm. So quite often on a day when I wake up, I don't know what my day is going to hold necessarily. I think it's just a case of having confidence in the the people who you're representing, which I absolutely mm-hmm. do. Having confidence um, in your team. So the ISC is a very small team, um, but it's it's small but perfectly formed. So I know that it's it's not just me by myself. We all sort of club together. So when a response is needed you know, I am marshalling that and I might draft it, but then there's other people coming in. So it's, it's not just my responsibility. So I have, I have trust and I have confidence is, hmm. is the short answer. 
Gosh, okay. And what what's dominating the world of ISC right now? I mean, you know, we, we hear a lot of talk with schools and, and VAT and the threat of VAT coming along. Clearly, that's front and foremost for a lot of schools, especially schools that are listening to this right now. Is is that a major part of what ISC is involved in as well? Or or are there many other things that, that we don't know about or that I don't know about? No, I think VAT is, is what uh, is occupying quite a lot of my time. Um, I've been at ISC for just over a year. And when I tell people that, they always say, oh, you've joined at such an interesting time. And uh, that pause is usually very telling. So it was uh, November 2022, three weeks after I joined, that Jeremy Hunt uh, mentioned in his budget speech, uh, the Baines-Cutler report, which estimated uh, around 90,000 children could leave the sector as a result of VAT. Mm. Um, And that took Labour's VAT policy, which sort of had been on the back burner until then, really into the public sphere because both Mm. the Conservatives and Labour decided that they were happy to... uh, go toe-to-toe on this mm-hmm. and it's proven so ever since then um mm. it's it's been fairly constant since then so over the past sort of year and a bit now of course julie robinson is the ceo there uh, i if, if i asked you how important it is for someone in your role to work closely with someone like julie i imagine that you'd say very important but tell us a little bit about about that dynamic and about why it is so important to to work closely with with someone like the ceo I mean, from a from a very um, cynical perspective, you've got to trust that um, when your CEO or when uh, your leader is is on things like radio and TV, and you you can't wield the sort of iron grip that uh, you prefer, um, you've got to trust that they are going to be putting out the the messaging that you've spent time crafting, mm. and. Julie is absolutely fantastic at that. Um, I, before all of her um, media appearances, we we catch up, we uh, look at sort of what top lines we want to deliver. And she's always very mindful of that. Um, she's very on message, very um, reluctant to stray off brief. Um, and I think when I talked earlier about trust and confidence, um, it goes both ways. So I'm very grateful for the trust and confidence that Julie has in me and my team. And she listens and she respects what I have to say, but she's also not afraid of putting her own view forward and tweaking things as and where necessary. And she's also willing to um, to learn and put herself out there. So we do regular media training which I enjoy and she enjoys slightly less uh, because <laughs> obviously the idea of media training is that it should be the worst interview you go through. And I, I, I go to great lengths to make sure that is the case. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, Sarah, tell us about your background. Where were you before you joined ISC? So I spent the majority of my career at the Times Educational Supplement, which many people will be familiar with in education. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually, I was super fortunate. Um, I dropped out of university. So this is going back way, way back. And I was really lucky to get two weeks work experience at a magazine called Times Higher Education or mm-hmm. Times Higher Education Supplement, as it was at the time, um, which ironically was a, a 
a magazine dealing exclusively with uh, universities. Oh, right. Um, and yeah, so I was really fortunate. Um, the The person who gave me that opportunity uh, was Anne Ros, and I I went to work for her for two weeks, and I sort of never really left. Uh, so, and she gave me so many opportunities when I was there. So, I started off um, as her PA, as an assist editorial assistant. Um, I was able to train up as a journalist. Um, when Anne moved, I moved across with her. So I moved across to work on, uh, from THE, I moved to TES Resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, uh, got some great experience in building websites um, for teachers across the world, learning about how different uh, countries deal with um, curriculum. Uh, so in the US, in India, in Australia and then I moved across to uh, TS magazine uh, to work on their output and my last job there was I, and you know how they say the longer the job title the less important you are I was very <laughs> yeah. aware that I was, I was I was the least important person at TED actually no that's not true I was I was the second least important because the least important was my deputy who had to have an extra word in front of her title right, yeah so I was uh the Head of Editorial Content Curation and Digital Development. <laughs> Gosh, okay. Which, yeah, many, many That's words. That's a very large business card uh, or a very small font on there, one or the other. <laughs> yeah, my business card was was A3 sized at the time. Um, <laughs> and essentially I was chief sub-editor. So I read everything that went into, we put out two magazines a week, um, multiple web stories a day, all of which went through me and my team so I read them corrected spelling grammar tone style made sure we didn't get sued which was super important mm-hmm. um so although I wasn't out there as much as say some of our reporters or editors um just quietly in the background I knew so much about our schools because I was one of the few people who was reading every single thing Mm. that we put out whether that was about state or independent schools tell me something about this where or or how you go about getting that balance right between not putting out content which to use your words could risk in getting sued but at the same time of course your 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 role is to communicate and you know in order to communicate sometimes you need to say things that are that are going to catch people's attention it must be quite tricky to get that balance between being overly conservative and protecting so that you well a a bit of butt covering if if I can put it that way but at the same time (laughs) being able to communicate in a way that has impact so I think that the key there was just a a, a really um solid training in libel and copyright law uh, which is obviously quite dry but quite necessary and knowing that the team I was working with, our news team, our features team there were utterly fantastic professional people and wouldn't put anything else out that they couldn't back up. There was very little, there was very little sort of tabloid reporting or speculation. Everything they said could be backed up by facts, by interviews. So I think that that was the thing, knowing that whatever we put out, we had um, facts and evidence on our side and if we didn't it it wouldn't go out that's that's as simple as it gets 
So just for the sake of people listening to this right now, if we translated what you do with Julie into a school environment where someone who's working in marketing and communications might need to prepare the head in their school, then what advice would you offer for someone who's in that position where maybe the head doesn't follow instructions from the marketing team so well (laughs) and tends to go a little bit rogue? Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think um, it's about relationship building and it's about having um, the sort of relationship with your head where you can say, you know, these are the messages we need to put out and being very clear about that. And a lot of that is being clear about your mission, your purpose, um, what you want to get across about the school or about the situation you're in. Um, With Julie, when she does interviews, I always do a sort of top three things we need to get across because obviously with um with heads and with um CEOs like Julie they've got so much in their head because obviously they they know everything Mm. and so they can think about well I I need to I need in an interview I need to tell them everything Mm -hmm. and I think it's about scaling that down for them Mm -hmm. and saying that actually we know we know that you know you want to tell everyone about everything our school does and that's fantastic. But for this particular instance, these are the things we need to get across because the danger is, is if you don't focus in on what is important, mm-hmm. you there's you have less control over what the headline then becomes. Whereas if you're more disciplined with your messaging, uh, you have... there's a a greater likelihood that the message you want and the headline you want is is going to get out there and is going to be the the thing that's portrayed by uh by the media or by social media and i I guess it must be tempting to think to yourself in in the position of marketing right i want to communicate this and this and this and oh we've got such and such happening in two months time I, i want them to talk about this but it's that old thing isn't it if you prioritize everything then you prioritize nothing Exactly so. And that's why, um, I mean, in journalism, and I think it's true of all writing, there's there's the old phrase of kill your darlings. Oh, I haven't heard that. What does that mean? Oh, have you not? So th- there, there will be phrases, turns of phrase, a quote you've used, a thing that you've put in there that you absolutely love and you're wedded to it because you love it. And, but it's not necessarily the best thing. Um, for that particular piece it might be something that you love it might be a quote that's fantastic but actually it might not be a a quote or a phrase or a a line that is the main point and you get so wedded to it that you sort of forget to see the bigger picture Mm. and I think that that can be true um of media appearances as well you have every and this is true of everyone like everyone will have a thing that they they are really excited or passionate about and that they want to spend their time talking about. But sometimes you have to recognize that in order to get a, a a win, you need to be able to put your own biases and feelings aside and actually look at what's important in that moment and what is um, what is going to help you uh, in that particular moment rather than what necessarily you you really want to do. So there's a level of confidence that's required to do any position of marketing and communications, you know, to do it effectively and to give the right messages to people like like the head in the school and actually to know what you want to communicate. I, I guess you need that inner confidence, first of all, that what you're communicating is the right thing. Yes, definitely. But that comes with with preparation. Um, I mean, nothing 
nothing comes out of thin air. If you've got a good sense of what your school is, um, who your people are, what's important and what's important right now, which can sometimes be two different things, it lays the groundwork on which you can then build everything. And everything comes back to that as well. When when you do have someone who's saying, but I really want to talk about this, you can then go back to those building blocks, that foundation and go, I know you're passionate about this, but does it serve us to do this? Does it serve us to deliver this message? And I think that's that's where the confidence comes from, having that solid foundation of knowing what what you need to do and what you want to present to the world okay so in your position then and being at isc you 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 must have a very very much a bird's eye view of what's happening within the world of independent education clearly vat is one of the things we've talked about but but what else is what else is one of the big issues right now i think there's a there's a couple of things coming along one of one of the huge things at the moment obviously is ai um it's something that's impacting everyone regardless of whether you're in a school or out of it um i think from a teaching and a school perspective it's interesting to look at the possibilities of ai so how it can um enhance what you do how it can take on routine tasks so that you have more time for things like strategy or creativity and then on the other side of things i think from the teaching and learning side of things i think it's really interesting to think about sort of the world we're preparing children for Mm. and I know that um for instance in countries like Finland I feel I feel like such a stereotype talking about Finland in an education conversation (laughs) but this is genuinely something they do very well um they're actually uh doing lessons in disinformation to children because um things like fake news and AI generated images and messages are so prevalent now how Mm. do you teach children the critical thinking and skills to be able to discern the fake from the real and I think going back to the process of working in a school that's something you have to be wary of as well it's now easier than ever for people to send out messages pretending to be from schools or pretending to be from say ISC two schools and how as a as a a team do you do you combat that do you teach people to look out for this is this is genuinely from us and this is something to look out for because it it only takes one person to click on a dodgy link or believe a story is real and send it out to the press and you're in a whole world of trouble yeah it is scary isn't it when you get these stories i mean not just to do with schools but any kind of story which which looks like it's a sensationalized story and then everybody shares it, and actually none of it's true at all, or or a large portion of it isn't true. But because it's a a, a, a sensationalized headline or sensationalized content, then it encourages people to share it. And of course, sometimes that's the reason why somebody's written in the first written it in the first place is because they just want it to go viral, even though it's not true. Yeah, it must be very difficult to discern what what is true, what isn't true. And, and 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 I imagine. Sorry, I feel like I'm speaking for you now. But an element of caution whenever we read anything to then forward it. Um, is is that right? Yeah, I think it. And it's also I think important when you're using AI because uh, people talk about AI replacing humans, and I I don't think that's possible. Um, I think because you still need that human critical faculty 
to look through what AI puts out and discern what's true and what's not. And I think a great example of that is ChatGPT. You know, it was found that journalists were writing articles about music and and things that didn't exist because it had asked ChatGPT a question and ChatGPT essentially had made some stuff up. But because the technology is developing more quickly than our understanding of that technology it's a weird double-edged sword in that people are very wary of it but they're also very quick to trust it Mm. so it's like well if it came out of chat gpt it must be true and what i find really interesting is if that same information was on say a wikipedia page there would be a lot more um, cynicism and a, a lot more uh, distrust and a lot more willingness to think, well, is this true or can I go and find some independent verification? And, and I think it's because people don't necessarily understand AI that they're scared of it, but also really weirdly willing to rely on it. Um, and so I think learning how to live with AI and learning how to understand AI is going to become a huge thing um, over the next couple of years. Well, I mean, it's clear that AI is going to have is already having a big impact on the world. So, you know, it's right for us to be talking about these things right now. Sarah, just keeping an eye on time, but I'm dying to ask one last question, which is that you you mentioned that you <laughs> that you go to sleep with your phone next to you, and you know, we've we've talked about some of the issues that are uh, current in the media and to do with schools right now. Uh, but how much of the work that you do or that the ISC does, how much of it is to do with uh, reacting to what's happening right now compared to proactively looking at things that could happen in the future or that should happen in the future? I would say, and this is, sorry, it's a politician's answer, but uh, it, it it very much depends. So if if I had my way, I'd love to spend the majority of my time looking at proactively putting stories out there about the sector and proactively looking to the future. And and we do do a lot of that ISC. But when there is a media storm, so um, I think the most recent one was September of this year, and I was at a conference at the time, um, it becomes so all-consuming that you you don't have time for anything else um, because you are you're dealing with multiple queries about multiple stories, crafting your own response, looking for experts, heads that you know will say sensible things uh, and will uh, speak well on behalf of the sector. And it becomes all consuming. And all you can do in that situation is you you sort of live off response and you're just on a treadmill and you just keep going. When things are slightly quieter, um, which, you know, touch wood, they are the majority of the time, that's when you can start looking forward. And I think it's important to know when you're able to do that, because I think if you start, if you try to be the the eye of Sauron and see all things <laughs> at all times, <laughs> you'd, you'd just, you would, especially in those, um, those very, very uh, intense situations, you'd, just end up collapsing so it's about knowing knowing what your priorities are and being willing to adjust them to the the reality you find yourself in i love that uh, and sarah just before you go you mentioned the eye of sauron so clearly you're 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 a bit of a lord of the rings fan what other films well i'm presuming that actually maybe you're not uh, but what other films do you in, 
do, do you tend to enjoy watching when you're not at work? I am a real sucker for Wes Anderson films. I love, oh. I love, I love his style. I think it's very marmitey. I think you either absolutely love it or absolutely hate it, and I absolutely love it. It's it's just a, a world that I enjoy um, going into. So like things like the Grand Budapest Hotel, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just watched Asteroid City. Um, and really enjoyed that. Um, it's it's just a, a whole sort of quirky, stylized world that I can really get behind. Just for anyone listening who doesn't know Wes Anderson, very much um, symmetrical images, muted colors, and uh, and and distinct parallels. So um, yeah, I, I I think you're right regarding Marmite. I, I used to enjoy Wes Anderson films, and actually now not so much. Actually, since Asteroid City, but uh, but but that's a whole separate conversation. Maybe we should start a podcast channel, you and me, just to do with movies. Um, <laughs> Sarah, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way they could do that? So they can get in touch with me um, by uh, email which is sarah.canane at isc.co.uk. Um, that is probably the easiest way. Uh, you can also ring me and you can get hold of me via my uh, mobile, which is 07778-570-803. And my, my thing is that ISC is really a resource for the sector. So we represent the sector, but we're also a resource for the sector to use. So I'm always really happy um, to get phone calls from people, whether that's they need active advice, they just need a sounding board, um, anything like that. Please do just just get in touch. Bother me, essentially. Wow. Look at that. Bother you. That, That sounds incredible. That really does. Sarah, thank you for your time. It's been really good talking to you and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode. To find out more about Amkiss, just visit the website amkiss.co.uk. This episode was produced by the Bonjour Agency. The next episode will be out soon, but in the meantime, thank you for listening. Bye for now.